by request. By, by request. request. And and this is a great pump me up song, right? Like if I think back to the songs you played before games, this would have been in the lineup. Whether you like Eminem or not, it it is the the beat is undeniable. Yeah, it's a little motivational. Whether it's po- making your morning coffee or getting, <laughs> getting ready to cut the grass in your jammies, trying to get the kids to school, or just wanting to ignore the people around you, like whatever. Getting your kids out of bed. <laughs> so I need to welcome everybody in. I guess it's how it goes to Soccer Mom Sunday with the Soccer Dad Pod. Well, one of the Soccer Dad Pod guys, JB, just, Jennifer C. Just one. Just one, just one. How are you today? Um, good. It's a Friday, so we're it recording Friday. on a Friday, which is awesome. It's noon. <clears throat> I may have ordered an adult beverage already here at Trainwreck Saloon, the one in Brentwood, which is awesome. I haven't been here in a long time. I just realized when we pulled up, I'm like, oh, I just haven't been here since maybe my younger adult days, and I don't know why. It's the uh, buffalo, the Tatanka. Out front, right? <laughs> it totally is. My kids are like, it smells smells like concession stand. I'm like, that's just a grill. You smell yeah. the grill. <laughs> yeah, that would be the right side of the menu that's all brown. The brown <laughs> the brown side. So the so to, for for you know, ambiance and background, we're sitting at train wreck and um, my three of my four kids are with us. Mm-hmm. My apologies. It was flu shot day. Uh, went out there and stab, stab, stab. Let's get ready for the season. I will, you know, buy you food. Order within reason what you want. Um, and my oldest child, JB, should be, as I look at my fake watch here, maybe visiting yeah. with your child at Belmont. He's no, there. I, I just got a text. They're walking. They're going to be late. So, the you know, cafe. they're late to everything. Yeah, well. <laughs> mine are late. So is mine. Anybody named George Gansner is late. Yeah. No, Keller, Keller will find him. All good. <laughs> Give him a little uh, two cent tour. So, so Georgie is one of those, if anybody, and I know we got to talk soccer here in, in a minute, but if any, you know, he's 17, senior, dragon, yeah, I'm drink arrived, served, thank you, 15-year-old, ching, ching, um, ching, ching, what was I saying? Oh, Georgie, 17. Yeah, Georgie, so, so we have German students in town from the visit on the exchange, so George thought to take them to Nashville and maybe drop also by Memphis, I'm not sure of the plan, but thought... Let's get him on a college visit. This kid has drug his feet, mostly because of overwhelm, right? It's overwhelming. I remember it being overwhelming, and I don't think we had as many choices, at least not access to us. Yeah, no, it was it was very different. I mean, they like four state schools. You have a local JUCO. Yeah. handful of, you know, the... The private small schools. Right. Not what they have today. No. And, and it's not that it's like exponentially more. I mean, it's roughly the same number of schools. It's just the access, the the media, the letters. Oh, my God. Flooded. Because I still, from having an old, when he was younger, needed an email. And I mm. set it up where I could have access to it in my email client. It's spammy. I'm just like, yeah. can, can you all stop? Stop. It's like... like 25 emails a day right. that sound really personal and he gets overwhelmed so finally we got him <laughs> about I think they did the first initial meeting this morning and then as they were talking about classes and he's he's was like I might be interested it's just <laughs> not as scary you know the first time you know after you get that one under your belt that's I right think that it becomes like okay I, I can I can do this yeah he's already like how is this gonna work with the way I meal prep and my the meal plan I'm like okay Hold on, just hold on. So yeah. he's with JB's kid and and meeting your kid, well, and, and can, these three kids are here gonna bomb our podcast. We're all sorry. 
<laughs> yeah, it's all good. That's what public spaces are for, right? And so since we've already heard her on mic, I probably have to welcome in Ruth Harker. Let's do it. Because Ruth is the reason that you're going to hear some straws in the background. I forgot about this little trick. So Ruth Harker comes in, and I'll give the background for anybody who doesn't know, which we all should know, but immediately becomes, finds her inner child <laughs> with my three kids and starts teaching them the, Marin, did you, can, can you do, can you do, can you do it in the background? Come on, girl. Come on, oh, light it pressure, up. Here we pressure. go. Gotta move the gum. Oh. oh you maybe. gotta get a new straw. Oh, here comes. Maybe next time. She, oh, can, she can interrupt. Yeah. This is like when everybody's watching her corner kick that she likes to. There it is. There it is. Oh, oh, she lost so the close. grip. So when we hear a lot of that in the background, courtesy of Ruth Harker, goalkeeper for the U.S. Women's National Team. Thanks for joining us, Ruth. Hey, man. Happy to be here. So, yeah, I mean, I know we usually do like to do a catch-up, but I feel like we caught up. Like, we got kids visiting colleges. Well, yeah, kids no. Kids here I mean, arguing. Well, and go backwards, too. Just kind of uh, Jim Brokaw was last week. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> um, Jared, as you well know, my carpool co-host on the Soccer Dad Pod side, uh, saw him... Last night, he goes, hey, by the way, I listened to uh, Soccer Mom Sunday. He goes, I think I'm going to start Pilates. <laughs> I, I would love, I will bring him there myself, and I will yeah. videotape her oh, no. taking him through. So. That is a TikTok special <laughs> in, it, in the making. And I can't remember on the Soccer Dad pod side, have you guys had Ruth Harker on? Because you should. Nope, not yet. On first. We've got the intro. You, yes. you're, you're, bra- you're breaking news here. Bra- breaking. breaking guests here. <laughs> So, yeah, so Ruth, you know, I remember Ruth, I don't even know what year, but whatever your induction year was into the St. Louis Soccer Hall of Fame. Can you help me? Do you remember? I think it's 2019. Okay, that sounds about right. I remember that and then looking at the list, I've actually got their website up on me now. And, and you know, as, as it's very bro heavy, it's very guy heavy, um, and it's not, you know, it, it's not that's not a knock on them it, it is it back in that time taikyo time and all those kinds of times there was a lot more available um for men's soccer than there was women but we were playing and people preceding us and i got to know you i think we met in passing and i was like oh my god and then looked you up because i growing up did not either have I didn't have soccer knowledgeable parents. The coverage, as we know, on, on soccer in general was not great, definitely for women. I didn't know you growing up the way I wish I would have. Like, it means a lot that you shook my 15-year-old daughter's hand because I'm like, you know now a legend. I didn't even know she was who she was 1985, and I was in fifth grade. Wow. I mean, that's so humbling. Thank you for saying that. Um, you know, those that... You know, I, did, I, I, I think I explained this to you that I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just doing it, you know. I mean, I was playing for the Cheez-Its. And, and, and I absolutely loved it. And um, I think, you know, um, that it's really important when you do meet um, people, kids, adults, no matter who it is, you never know what their experience is. And, you, you know, your hope is to, one, raise women to make sure that whatever your exposure is to those people, it raises the game on some level or their their knowledge of the game in some way. So, 
when I met you, I, I think I met your husband first. Yeah. And I really enjoyed him, and I really enjoyed... For a referee, right? For <laughs> a referee. But yeah, there needs to be an asterisk, yeah, asterisk. there. So. <laughs> True. I, I've yelled at a few of those in my, in my lifetime. Uh, but uh, I found him, you know, just darling to be around. And um, when he asked me to... Um, to, to to come to the to, to Murren's game, I was like, yay, you know, I'm yeah. glad he asked me I was like, this. oh, my God. And then to be able to meet your keepers, you know, on some level, um, these people want to know the DNA. They don't know they want to know the DNA, but once they know the DNA, then they get, you know, the momentum starts to shift in their their mindset a little bit. And, and I mean that, like, m- most people, like, even on the U.S. team, the current U.S. team, I'll go to player functions. I was at a player function, and I'm not going to say who the player was, but we were taking a generational photo. Yeah. And while I was standing in there to take the generational photo, this woman turns around and looks at me, and she goes, this is for players and, and generational <gasps> players only. No. <laughs> and you're like, and go run 50 laps until you throw up. No, Alex Morgan <laughs> reaches over and says, come over by me, Ruth. You know, so it was like, you know, it's like some of those people don't even know the DNA, you know, where the Usage here comes from, you know, what these women did, you know, and it wasn't just my 86, 87, 85 team. It was, you know, even the 91ers, when they came back, there was like six press people there to greet them. Here they win a World Cup. Right. Right. And there were, so I think it's, I think we have to give back. It's it's the only way awareness you know awareness uh, creates traction, and I think that you know I love to give back because I I, re- I was telling you this that we didn't know I didn't know what I'd done and I didn't really care about it I'd gone on to work my You're job. You're like I just played some soccer. <laughs> right, and I went on to work my job, and then you know it, probably in the last ten years I've been just sort of bombarded with and and then realized sort of what this platform could do. You know, I think I was telling you about Preston, this young kid who had a brain tumor, and I met him through business, uh, my, through his dad, and um, he told me his son was a goalkeeper and that he was he had uh, a brain tumor and could I could I, would I be willing to talk to him? I'm like, well, where do you live? And he goes Chicago. I'm like, I'm there next week. I'll, I'll come by and see him. But after that, um, every chemo treatment he had, someone in my sorority did something for Preston. So Hope Solo sent him some gloves. Oh my God. Uh, Tim Howard sent him gloves. Pele sent him a shirt. I mean, every week, I mean, every chemo treatment. But then that's when I realized how my platform, my, my little bitty platform could, could help. Yeah. Wow. I mean, and there's so many JB, like like with Ruth, I, I was thinking and trying to get a little bit better at planning, like, what are the things we want to talk about? And I'm like, there could be so many from back when you were playing, from your recent traveling to the U.S. Women's World Cup and seeing all your posts on social media and kind of like joining you on the journey and, and being a part of that and seeing and the fact that you've recently gone to Spain. Um, you and I were on a soccer show together about women's soccer and kind of where it's going. And there's so many things, JB. I need My head's exploding. Well, I think, I think it might behoove us to <clears throat> kind of erase the board just a little bit so that we can paint a picture of your origins. You're from the area here. Um, you didn't just go straight into U.S. soccer as a, you know, national, international goalkeeper. There was a path. And, you know, in the early days, in you know, that that generation, it was in its infancy stage. So can you give us a little bit of the, the 101, the history of 
introduction to the game who is who is the primary influence maybe for you as a as a child early teen you know and then at what point were you like or those around you hey i'm pretty good at this like i i want to go to the next level what did that look like you got a minute? <laughs> we, we've got plenty. So, the kids are still eating. You so. know what? I was, uh, I was in middle, my mom, my mom was a single parent of four kids, and I was the youngest. And my brother got to play the sports, and he was sort of the golden child, and I resented him, although he and I are very close. Um, but so my mom made me cheerlead for my brother. Now, if, if you have one look at me, you can see that that would be really, really uncomfortable for me. But I was like Forrest Gump. I ran everywhere through the neighborhood. I mean, people probably thought I was a little little off, I think. We and just called it feral. You met right, my youngest. I, right. She's feral. Uh, I get it. Right. I was feral, for sure. <laughs> and it was also the time, I think, too, right? Like, where kids just roamed and went oh, yeah. and did. Get home before the, the streetlights right. go out. I mean, my mom didn't care where we were. I'm like driving Just don't my, be here. <laughs> I'm driving my bike behind a mosquito truck. I mean, like, come on. Right. So, what could go wrong? Right. Well, I became a goalkeeper. Um, so, no, so um, when I was 13, I in middle school, I met these twins, Jan and Joan Gittemeyer, and they were playing sports. And um, I envied it. I saw them walking through the hallways in their sweatsuits, and I was like, holy cannoli, I want to be that. Dude, that's awesome. Oh, oh yeah. yes, you oh, can. Hell yes. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I wanted, I wanted to be in that sweatsuit, and um, I befriended them. And um, in that's my, so cool. And uh, when I, I went out, I was the equipment manager for the ninth grade team. I was in eighth grade, so I was 13 at the time, and it was my first exposure to women's sports right. in my middle school. Um, and so I watched every sport, and so that. That gym teacher, her name was Marge Marge Smith. I mean, uh, Marge Rosenthal, and she's still a, a totally dear friend to me. But then she gave me a sweatsuit that year, and I thought I was all the shit. Man, I like, ran through yeah. the neighborhood in my sweatshirt. Then I'm like Forrest Gump in the sweatsuit, you know? I'm like, holy cannoli! So um, the next year, I played every single sport. They overlapped. I didn't give a shit, you know? I was like, I am playing every single sport. So I and. And, and then I looked at volleyball, and I'm like, is this really a sport? I'm not sweating. And uh, so, and, then, and I didn't want to wear those little shorts either. Um, so field hockey was out because of the skirt. And um, I'm with you on that. Here, clink, clink. Yeah, I, I don't yes, wear skirts. Yeah, no. I'm not for it. So <laughs> at, when, I was in, when I was 14, after I played those sports, I, Marge Rosenthal put me in goal. And because I was so far behind in skill sets, I did not have any ball skills like I couldn't dribble a ball I was like the hell am I gonna do so she goes Ruth I'm gonna put you in goal so my first profound memory of soccer was the first game I ever played a ball bounced in front of me and over my head and into the goal and I'm like I hate this fucking game <laughs> and, and I'm blind in an eye so I had no depth perception and you know and I, and, and I didn't tell anybody this because I didn't want to you know I didn't want to be put on the left side so I could see everything to the right or, or whatever so uh, after I played that year and I and I was really I was really athletic, so I could get from post to post. It just didn't look good, you know. It just I was I was really good. It just didn't look good. And so the Gittemeyer twins asked me to come and try out for their team. And they I always credit them for me my introduction to the game. They got me on. They got me a tryout, and the coach asked me to play. 
And the next summer, we're playing in Sweden and Finland, and I'm having this unbelievable experience. And and then, of course, that led, led to Olympic development, which then led to Olympic festivals, which then led to making it to the U.S. Uh, women's team. Well, but I didn't have a goalkeeper coach until I was 17 or 18. Re- real quick, oh because God. you skipped over that extremely quickly. Um, <laughs> you're a goalie, right? Hand-eye coordination is pretty critical. Um, and you stated that you are blind in one eye. Yeah. So That's because my evil twin. How, <laughs> how early, uh, you know, kind of, because I think that's an important part of your story from a challenge slash perseverance slash whatever you know keyword it is that's kind of incredible for a goalie that got to the stature and the levels that you did to to have one good eye yeah with anything you do i think much less yeah, yeah. something coming you know a laser to your face right or or, or where it seems like I guess all the positions on the field, right? That's important, but I feel like it's a little extra important for that one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think corner kicks are a perfect example of that. I mean, uh, you know, but what it taught me is, like I said, I didn't tell anyone because I didn't really... What, you know, was was it from birth? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a difference, too. I think you're... you're the, the ophthalmologist, I mean, they would, what they would do is they didn't know what was wrong with my eye, and so they'd make me patch one eye and circle things with that eye because they just thought it was weak and I would try to do it and I would get in trouble because I couldn't do it yeah and so it wasn't until I started designing ultrasound systems that I even knew what was wrong with my eye and then I'm like putting it on my eye I'm like holy shit you know that's what's wrong and so um I think that it forced me to think differently and I think goalkeepers just in general it's a cerebral position You, you know it's about making decisions right so for me it was about determining where the ball was going to go. And I could do that. I could wow. determine where the ball was going to go, and then I, would, then I would go. I mean, there were certain things like coming off your line that you just got, you know, it's just an instinct, right? right. But, uh, and I, that, I think that's one of the places I really excelled. You know, I was fairly fearless in that, that, that capacity to be able to come off my line and, you know, you're not getting by me, either you or the ball, but it ain't going to be Hey, you drove behind a mosquito truck, so you're not afraid of nothing. (laughs) (laughs) But what time was that when you mentioned the Gettemeyers, who I definitely knew, and I actually didn't really honestly really know of them as a young girl, more when I got older, especially um, ones particularly in refereeing um, with George knowing them. Jan. Jan, yeah. So um, when was that, and I I did play against them when when, when we graduate to the, when you graduate to old lady status, you could play anybody, right? Anybody. So I'm pretty sure one of them was out on the field. Or I just couldn't stand that. <laughs> I could not stand playing after I, you know, after I, I was done. I was just done. And when You're just I, done. I just, but it was just the feeling of it. I yeah. just, I, I lost the loving feeling yeah. for, for that. What was the year that, that when you said you got involved with, that you were like, get you a track suit and you're mm-hmm. on their team and then you're doing this stuff. What year? This is late 70s. Okay. Um, and, and then they were also responsible because I was taking a gap year. I had uh, looked at colleges and, you know, we didn't have any money. My parents, uh, my mom's a single mom and we didn't have any money. So I'm, I'm looking at academic yeah. scholarships. And, you know, I had a few choices there, but I'm thinking, you know, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. You know, I was, my parent, my mom moved my senior year, and so I'm like gypsy in, in my senior year from couch to couch, place to place. And, um, and so uh, when, when I decided to take the gap year, the Gittemeyers again came to me, and they're like, you know, we've got this homegrown 
you know, pretty badass thing going on in at, at awesome. Umsel, and wow. uh, you know, why don't you why don't you come have a look? And so I did, and I um, and Kenny Hudson at that time uh, then offered me a scholarship, and I had some academic money, and you know, it uh, it didn't have to pay for college, and that was a huge thing for me. I was the yeah. first person in in my family to go to college. Well, and, and not to, like, I'm just reading what, what Mr. Leaker and the St. Louis Soccer Hall of Fame did a good job of putting your stuff. I mean, not just a goalkeeper, like a badass goalkeeper. So um, still in the record books of Umzel and NCAA for solo shutouts and record shutout percentage, plus a number of other things like, wow. And what surprised me is that you said when you were getting going that you were behind on skills. Because when I look back to those years, I mean... Don't tell the 15-year-old sitting over there right now. I would have totally beaten her in a race. But her foot skills are far beyond oh, anything yeah. that I would have had at the time. Like, how how were they how were they so advanced since I think skills training definitely wasn't as much. Like, we ran, we passed, you ran some more. How, how were they ahead of you? Just well, because in they, the sport? Or? Right. Well, they had had, you know, they've been on teams. I mean, look at the St. Blaze. I mean, where Jana Joan played, I don't... I'll never forget um, playing a game with them. And, like, we're killing teams. We have to go out of town every weekend outside of the Ziggenheim Spurs. We call them Spurs. But it was really the Spurs. Uh, but we hated each other. We were nemesis. And then we come to college and had to play together. That's a whole different story. But um, I'm not, I'll never forget playing with them. And it was like they all, I mean, they all knew where the other person was going before they got there. It was so intuitive, like, and that's from playing together for an extended period of time. And like you said, we didn't have people teaching us how to strike the ball properly. Jerry Lubinsky was our coach, and he was, he had major passion for the game. He liked to scream a lot, but he had <laughs> a lot of passion for the game. And I think uh, that that goes a long way. And also, you know, when you're ex when you have the experience and you keep doing that experience over, you refine it. It's like Messier or you know, in his youth, you 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 know he just sat there and kicked the ball for a long right. time, and he, he might not have been striking it right, but after redundancy, he's doing something right. And even if it's his own touch that might be a little different, he's you know. And I think that's what I saw when I played for St. Blaze was that. You know, I mean, well, well, let me ask you this, because you mentioned playing any sport you could that didn't involve um, a skirt or short shorts. <laughs> um, was it the competition? Do you think that was maybe a little bit of the X factor? Sounds as if you probably didn't like to lose. So even though you might have been <laughs> Fuck no, short, lose. <laughs> right, your short technical skills. But in today's environment, we, we interview a lot of current coaches, really high level coaches, and they they firmly acknowledge the level of technical skills that kids have today, but they do almost all agree there is a gap in competitiveness or drive. Grit. Willpower. Will. I mean, I had such I enormous agree. will. I mean, I still, my kids try to wrestle me and stuff, but I have so much will, they can't. You're like, listen, I will back you right, up right I will, now. Right, yeah. I, will, uh -huh. I will take you down. Yeah, the 15-year-old was sitting next to us says, is my height, and she... You know, but don't look at me like that. You know, <laughs> she's looking at me like, don't say words about me. And I got a hip check the other day. And I was like, oh, okay, you go there? here it is. But but I'll I'll you know I'm gonna need ibuprofen, but I will do it. <laughs> right, you have will. And I, I, to your question, Jamie, I think that's that's an enormous part of 
of elite athletes mm-hmm. and that is this desire that is something you can't and to be honest i love basketball basketball was my passion i just sucked so bad i mean like one of the games i put the ball in the wrong i i shot a ball and it, it, yeah. I had to re, I rebounded it three times, three freaking times. I put it in, and I'm like, hey! and then I've scored for the wrong team. I put it in the basket at the other end, so I'm like, rebounding against myself. You, you were determined to beat yourself. Damn straight, I was. <laughs> Stick her in a goal and tell her to go that way. Well, it was funny. The next yeah, game, put everything they, in they, front of her. The next game, they put a sign up that said "This way, Ruth," and the coach says, "Make sure you change that at half." Okay. Flip it around. That's. But I was awesome. so isolated. You know, my mind was like. I'm rebounding that. I'm re- and not knowing. I mean, they're probably single-minded, right? Re- that, that single-mindedness of grit and this is going to happen whichever way I need to do it. I mean, if I look at um, just recently, Sporting KC, <laughs> St. Louis City played. Look at Klaus's second goal. Oh, yeah. The first yeah. goal is a piece of beauty, right, from Leuven and him. The second goal, that was gross. I mean, it was your grit, though. He, even, he did, and he, <laughs> he even admitted on Mike. And I, I said, first of all, you don't admit that that was a bad touch. You say, that's what I plan to do. Right. But uh, he's like, I, I took a bad touch. But you, you, he gritted that into the goal. I was that's like, I'm right. going to put this in any way I can. He willed it in. Yeah. There you go. For sure. So, so go back to the. Uh, the initial travels, you mentioned going to Finland and uh, Scandinavia. Sweden. Yeah. Um, what, what team was that exactly, and who were you playing? Was it uh, f- just friendlies? Was it a tournament? Talk about that initial trip, and was, it, was that trip kind of an aha moment for you beyond what you had already been experiencing here competitively? Um, well, first of all, we did just play friendlies, but you know, I think one of the aha moments for me within that was seeing how developed it, it, these other nations were at the time. I mean, it, now, granted, like some of the fields, particularly in Finland, like the the the, the pitch itself was you know crappy, you know, um, and but like in Sweden, we we de- we definitely went there and had a winning record. Um, so we were beating these teams, but I think St. Blaise, the team that I was playing for, was well above anybody else at the time. Mm. And I think it was a lot of that was because they had played together so long. And uh, like I said, we they knew where the other player was going to go. They had they could anticipate. And um, but the aha moment there was just an, an enormous amount of games and being so proud to go there and do that. And obviously, when you travel internationally and you get the bug, you know you get the bug for it. And right. I've never lost it. I'm a wanderluster, and I and I'm in soccer shaped me to do that. It makes you uh, not as small in your thinking, um, in your uh, ability to, to be compassionate. And, um, and you know, it, it's made me love the international game. And we kind of touched this on, on this on the panel a little bit about what you can take from uh, these, other, uh, these other places. And I think we did that. We incorporated it. I remember looking at some set plays. And at the time, film was, like, really, like, this yeah. big camera. Yeah, so eight millimeter. Right. And so we're, you know, I remember looking back at some of that film and us looking at set plays of things we had never seen before. Mm-hmm. And I think that those things are uh, really important in, in your development. Not like everyone has to go play internationally, but I, I think it's well worth it 
to, to do that if you can do it. We raised the money to do it. You know, it wasn't handed to us. We had some sponsorships, but for the most right. part, we were selling flowers. How much per diem did you get, I think, at one point in time? I'm, I'm actually scrolling right now on Michelle Akers. Some, somewhere around the Women's World Cup, and she'll do this. Like, there was a, you know, recognition of how many years it had been and then what, what life looked like back then. You know, now we've got women's teams, which is exactly what we wanted, right? Like, look at my daughters, and I don't know if they really want to play, but I would like them to have the same opportunities, right? From wearing the nice kits to whatever clothes we show up, you know, the, the players walk the, you know, and look good together and the planes and the accommodations, you know, yours was like $10 and, you know, get as much as you can from McDonald's. <laughs> right. Well, my mom, my mom worked, so she couldn't take me to practice. I had to actually get a job. I was washing dishes at an Italian restaurant so I could get taxi cabs to practice. That's oh, how bad I how wanted it. How old were you? 14. <gasps> oh my God. That's how bad I, I wanted it. How bad do you want to go? Were you South County, North County? North, baby. Don't put even think about putting me in that South. It's a, it's a standard question. Don't take it I'm personally. I'm sorry. I was South. Can we still be friends? <laughs> yes. Well, okay. the funny thing is when I got to college, it, because we hated each other, the Ziegenheim oh, yeah. uh, and us. I mean, we like our benches cleared before. Like we went, you know, knock down, drag out. And you called them the sperms. You sperms, guys are so right, mean. Right. I don't know what they called us, but uh, when we got to college, our our college coach Kenny Hudson would sort of feed off that, and he'd yeah. be like, "North over here, South over here," and then we would just. <laughs> but one one trip, and this st this stays in my memory. It's one of my most favorite moments in sports it, it, for for me that I experienced was we had gone through Atlanta. The Cardinals had just beat Atlanta in the World Series, and this is probably 80, 83, 82. I'm not. I can't remember the year, but we're driving to a tournament in the University of Central Florida, and we go into this, you know, this this rat bait motel, you know, and so one of these rooms like have five beds in it, you know, and they're all kind of, and we just go at it. We let it all out. Every and we started calling and giving nicknames to everybody, Peggy Keo, and and all these, uh, you know, just things, and we let it out, and we argued and fought. The next day, we played North Carolina. We're tied up and. Uh, Patty Kelly comes off the bench. She's hurt, and she comes off the bench with like a minute left, and she scores a goal. Here's my nemesis. Did you say Patty Kelly? Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's my nemesis, <laughs> and now she's my hero. Yeah. And we became one, and it was the most beautiful thing. And 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 we, we hand North Carolina the first defeat ever of their, of their, you know. What do you call it? Yeah. You know, they're... That's awesome. The, yeah, they're histor historic. Um, right. That is amazing. That is amazing. You, so, so when, you, when you're playing college ball, um, what, 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 what was your thought process? Like, what did, you, what did you think you wanted next? And what was available to you? Um, you know, because you're, you're clearly thriving. <laughs> was it... Were you looking forward to the next step? Were you frustrated with the lack of options? You know, what... How were you preparing? Because college comes to an end. What was next? Wow, JB. That is... How old are you? Uh, f uh, 47. He, he, yeah, 47. Young, young, yeah, young. baby. Well, let me just say that there was nothing. I mean, there yeah. was nothing available after, you know, I was looking forward to, um, you know, my look forward to was get out and get a job because my right. parents my mom's insurance is going to you know expire yeah, I, you so know, on this but 
it was my my I was just out of my junior year into my senior year when I made the U.S. team, and uh, you know at that point, you know I'm thinking, well, will this continue? Because normally what happens, they would have paper teams, you know, right. and plenty of people like who if you could have a U.S. team, who would it be? And and so when this team materialized. You know, sort of like, well, maybe there is hope for this women's game, and um, but essentially you're aging out because one, you're tired and fatigued from it, and you, um, you know, I played soccer six days a week. It put put a time frame on this. What year was your junior senior year? Eighty four, uh, 80, uh, 85. That was that fall when I made the U.S. team. That was at the end of my junior year, so okay. I was going into my senior year in August. And okay, um, we. So I make this team, and then we're like, you know, we don't go and, and embarrass the United States, but we also don't win a single game. Um, so you're, so then you're thinking, well, what's next? So I would get from Anson Dorrance, I would get, here's the workout for coming to the pool in '86, and here's the, you know, here's the workout, you know, for '87. And but, Anson, for those that are listening, was he at North Carolina at the time? Yeah. He was the women's also national team. Head yeah. coach. He became he became the national team coach in '86. Okay, got it. Mm -hmm. And so, I guess you know, I, I felt like I just aged out. You know, I just I needed to get a job. I mean, the ten dollars a day, you know, and this is why you're playing. You know, the rest of the days you don't get ten dollars a day. And so, where do you get that ten dollars? But again, I want I want to keep this kind of in a time frame perspective because, like Jen was saying with her daughter and so many other young women right now. Um, they don't understand where how low that ceiling was because you would have been 20, 21 years old. Twenty, yeah, twenty-two. And you were, uh, and you just said you were aging out, right? Like, right. But the yeah, thing that's, is, that's the my thing, point. But there yeah. was no, there was no women's professional soccer Correct. league. There right. was no way right. to go play internationally. Not one person on the eighty-five team went on to play outside of Michelle Akers uh, and she didn't even do that go to play internationally for someone else or in a NWSL there just wasn't that it didn't available exist. Right. Exactly. Yeah. it didn't exist so, so there was like a hole I called right. it the black hole after totally. college yeah. that was done Yeah. Um, so yeah that was it's interesting um, that you say that so at that time you get on to this you have hope that, that you're done with college, but now you're you're moving on internationally, sort of. You're oh, hoping. Wow. You I had mean, no idea, right? <laughs> right, but right, but you you know you. The thing is, is that you know Michelle and I were just talking about this when I was in Kansas City. Is that you? You still were doing the work. You still like I was still working out six days a week, right. and then have a job on top of right. it. And so you know because the job sustains your soccer. They didn't pay and, you to do workouts. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no one paid me to do that. You didn't get to. You did to. I remember training for just for college, right? You'd get in many. Um, would come up to the end of the school year. There's going to be many athletes that have committed to colleges, and right around April or May, they're going to start to get inundated from one their college on academics too. If they're playing a sport, like here's how you need to come in and. Um, for the professionals, maybe MLS teams or whatever, they get paid to, to train. Right. That's their job, but there was no paying to train. You you trained because you wanted to play. And even yeah. playing wasn't a, a job that could financially fund you. Right. right. That's I mean, a lot of ice going on there. Like, what was it going on there? I thought they're, someone was they're refilling out ice machines. As I look at this now, I'm thinking, you know, I could pick a different... Uh, uh, this would have been like, oh, maybe we shouldn't sit here. So, uh, it's, a lot it's, all good. it's all good. Hey, the background noise makes it. Makes people Anywho. feel like they're in the booth with us. 
Anywho, so you go to, how did that then look? You're, it's like, hey, you're, here, here you are trying to live your life at home and make money and, and do the things and to get your workouts in. And then what did it look like when you traveled and then when it was time to go? Well, for the 85 team, um, we came, they announced that at an Olympic festival. So if you're familiar, are you familiar with the Olympic festivals? Yeah, a so, bit, a bit. But, but please explain, because I'm sure there's a bunch of people who don't. Right. So the, I was invited to three Olympic festivals. And what the Olympic festivals are designed to do is to, uh, to bring the Olympic athletes together in off years. So that they get this high level of competition, and it was every sport: basketball, what rowing. I mean, every Olympic sport at that time was track and field is really kind of what was the most popular at that time. But every sport, men's, women's, everything was at the Olympic festival. Right. So you could even when you were not playing, you could go to these different venues and watch, you know, um, different sports. So I would say I sat across from Akeem Olajuwon one time, you know, having having breakfast. You know, that was kind of a really cool. Pass the salt. Right. He's like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, with his 10-foot yeah. arm. <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, that going to an Olympic festival, then you're like, I, I had a really good um, tournament, and um, I, I was named MVP at that Olympic festival. And at the end of it, they're announcing, and they're, no one even knew this was happening, that they're announcing this U.S. women's team and because there had been some hearsay, and I, I had no idea. So I'm... Uh, I'm sitting in the bleachers, and Mark Kaiser was my, my coach at the time out on the, on the North team uh, up in, uh, in, in, we were, I think we were in, was it Baton Rouge? I think we were in Baton Rouge. Uh, and he leans down in my ear, and he goes, congratulations. And I'm like, for what? He goes, you made the U.S. women's team. And they announced my name, and I'm, I didn't even hear my name announced. And they're like, get down there, Ruth. Because I was the only one from the Midwest. I was the only one from our region. And then you get on that team, and there's all these cliques. So you got the North Carolina girls, which right. are a lot of the Western West Coast Coalition. And you got the Jersey girls. The, yes, and the Central <laughs> Florida girls. And I'm like, holy shit. Uh, you know, and I, did, I felt a, a little alone in that because here you got this quirky goalkeeper out of the Midwest, and there's only two of us. And the other one was Kim Wyatt, who uh, played down at North Carolina, uh, at University of Central Florida. And uh, we get to New York. Uh, so we come back from the Olympic Festival, and then the Olympic Committee sent us all air airfares and an agenda. So we come home for a week or two, I can't remember. Um, and then we leave for New York to train, uh, to train together as as a team, which obviously, I mean, if you look at today's training you know you're right. going to get a couple months together to build culture and you're going to get you know you know these games together we didn't have any of that and, I'm and like, even now I'm like, not to interrupt your story but even now there's arguments that they didn't have enough time to build that truth. we can hit that later yeah. but you guys had even less yes and, but we had some great players i mean if you look at that roster oh my god if you, if at the time you know a lot of people don't know who those players were but april heinrichs Lori henry michelle Aker. i mean you think about the depth of that and stacy enos i mean karen jennings i mean these women were unbelievable but a funny story about that and how alone i felt so once we leave new york we go to we get on a plane and go to milan we get this bus to take us to lido and I'm in the backseat of the bus, and again, I'm feeling totally alone. I don't know anybody. I know Michelle Akers a little bit, 
and and I know Linda Gachitano a little bit because Linda played on the North for one year out of my three Olympic festivals. And so I fall asleep in the back of the bus and um, I wake up and everyone's off the bus having lunch. They and I'm, left and you. The, Yes. And no one even knew I was missing. <laughs> so No click, But they right? give me so much shit about that now. You know, my friends do. Yeah, uh, I just, I'm finding a picture of you and Michelle recently. Yeah. You know, there's a legends in their own right and who would know and look at like you're just you're a human being like anybody else there's tons of kids that I'm looking at several I've got three of them sitting next to us who play and and you know, there's a time that you know not every not everybody's a legend at the time right and that you look back and everybody has those moments where you have to fit in or you don't feel like you fit in or you feel like you got nothing um, and that you're going through that, too. I hope they all said they were sorry. <laughs> oh, you know what? Now it's kind of this joke, you know, because I'm this quirky goalkeeper and I'm, a, you know, I'm asleep in the back seat. And uh, uh, and again, you know, they all knew each other. And I'm just this loan out, you know. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, though, just kind of a compare contrast, because, <clears throat> you know, you grew up in a time, you know, where. I mean, realistically, there's not been a generation in which St. Louis hasn't been relevant in the game nationally, even internationally, to a degree. In your years, the national teams in particular and really the power uh, universities were just flooded with St. Louis men. Um, You, in this parallel world, you know, coming from this background... You're the one, you know, based on what you just described, whereas on the men's side, there would be at least three, four, oh, five, yeah. six mm-hmm. St. Louis uh, individuals there. Did you take pride in that? Because obviously you love the game, so you would have loved all things St. Louis soccer. Um, but being the only woman in, in that in that time frame, did it, did it give you a little bit of an extra, like, I did that. You know, I, I'm the one from here because St. Louis is. Yeah, because we, we talk about on the men's side. Like, like, well, just recently, the U.S. men's national team came. All the, the guard, you know, yeah. tons of guys. And I hate to say it, as, as great as St. Louis is in soccer, we aren't as deep. There are plenty that played. But when it comes to those who went into national yeah, the teams, next level. they didn't really come from St. Louis, per se. So many. More recently, but not back then. Weren't they primarily in North Carolina, East Coast, maybe West Coast? Yeah, that, that's, a good, that's a good point. I'm actually going to frame this in two-part question. One, did it make you feel more proud being from St. Louis and being the one? And two, why do you think there weren't more St. Louis women who were in the same you know, background or same neighborhoods here that went that path with you? Well, we kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, the, first que- the first part of your question, and I think this is an excellent question, but the answer isn't probably going to be an excellent answer, is that, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a great question. Um, the, the first is that I um, didn't really know the, the great um, history and, and, and rich culture of soccer in St. Louis because I'd never played sports. I hadn't been exposed to even soccer. I didn't even know what the hell soccer was. So right. when I get there, um, I didn't know. To, to answer your question, I didn't take pride that I was the only one from St. Louis because I didn't have the benefit of that knowledge right. a, as I'm doing it. I, all I know is that, one, that I felt alone. <laughs> And uh, two, the second part of your question, uh, 
did uh, why didn't more women I think because they aged out you know at this point you know Jan and Joan are seniors in college mm-hmm. and um, you know both having knee surgeries and, and the other part is that you know if you look at that, that history of that team we played I was at a division division two school playing the division one schedule right so these other these other players are are, are, are uh, in division one schools so everyone's, you know, looking at that. I mean, we went to the Final Four, I think, two or two, two of my four years. As a D2 school. Yeah, but in Division One. Correct. Because those weren't, yeah. I mean, so we were, we were in, ranked in the top ten a lot. And um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't have an answer why more of these. But, it, but even at these Olympic festivals, we're getting our ass kicked. Our region right. was very weak. You know, and some of that you can say, well, you know, some of these places played year-round. We played year-round. St. Blaise, we played year-round. Right. That's really interesting because I think when we look back, particularly in the women's game, um, I was reminded when we had the World Cup recently that, that it, looking back, is like, we didn't always win. <laughs> like, I think there are memories, and definitely my, I think my daughter is kind of, it, you they, they go as far back as the 99ers, right? They go far, their memories go Probably like that was old to them. In between, there's a gold medal and yeah, another right? World between Cup. All the yeah, right. stuff. Um, but you know, U.S. women were not always a dominant force. No. In in the sport, it, it took growth and development, and I think memories sometimes go don't go back as far as they should. Mine certainly didn't. Well, I think the acceleration of that. I mean, we talked a little bit about this on on Ted Show, is that um, from '85 to '91, that's how much it grew. We didn't win one game in 85, and in 1991, we won the World Cup. Okay, what Six changed, though? years. What changed? Because everybody's talking about it now, right, with, with Spain, with, with these, these other, and other countries that weren't even on the map. And they grow, like, what did they do? What did, what did they do? What Experience. did you do? Experience. I mean, it's like anything else. I mean, how do you get better at anything? You look at something, you pull from that, and then you apply it. And if you don't, then you're doing a disservice to your players or to yourself as a player. Um, it's it's like watching films. I mean, the reason you watch films, I tell my son this all the time. Like, you know, you need to go and look at that film. You need to watch games. You need to understand the differences and what you can what you can gain from 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 watching you know watching this. Right. Let, let me ask you a question then about the women's program in particular, because in that six-year span, go from not competing well to winning the World Cup, but then you look at the next 10, 15, 20 years even, you could argue that the women, U.S. women's program was the most dominant program in the world. You know, not winning every year, but always a favorite. 50% until this World Cup. Now I'd have to do the math on that. But Right. So clearly, you know, a world power. What do you think it was that, like, you know, because in 85, 86, the rest of the world is, they're kind of doing their thing. They're doing what is is occurring on the men's side, right? In 91, the tide shifts to, to the U.S. women, and then it doesn't shift back for over 20 years. What do you think, in your opinion, was kind of that catalyst the, that, that, that created this generation, generations of dominance? Well, I have two answers to that question. One would be Title IX. I think Title IX um, directly influenced um, 
these outcomes. You know, without those, you know, the women are just sitting in a park dribbling a ball. There's no real uh, organized motion for that, if you will. Mm -hmm. There's no organized machine saying, okay, this is one step, this is the next step. And then, you know, and so once Title IX happened and these, these, these women are gaining steam, then Olympic development begins to get interested in this. And so there's things at the state level, at the regional level, then at the national level. And there were sort of semi-features at that time, if you think about it. Right. Um, what was my second answer to that? See, I got caught off guard here. Let's see. Uh, okay. Well, it was ODP and Title Nine Title through the universities, and then ODP is picking up speed. And then my, maybe, what, was it playing style? Was it coaching? Because it was, still, you, there was some definite, you know, Anson came on board, and I think that shifted. Anson's probably one of the most tactical geniuses I've ever seen. I remember sitting, he would make you sit crisscross applesauce and he would talk for an hour. He would just talk for an hour. But the way he talked and his vision, and, and, you know, and I believe, you know, I love your company because I think mindset and imagination are really key uh, ingredients for success. I mean, and I, you sit and you, I talk to my son about this all the time before his game Sunday, I'm like, go to your room and imagine how you're going to play. <laughs> and, um, you know, imagine your layup, imagine your technique, imagine all these things. And, I, and I, I think that when the coaching changed and Anson came on board, that he brought some of that mindset that I think was lacking from uh, Ryan, Coach Ryan at the time. He was, Coach Ryan was just a passionate guy, loved the game, and was very successful with the Kozar and the West Coast franchise. I mean, they won national championship after national championship, and I hated those bitches. <laughs> so, so something just occurred to me, uh, um, in so much as timing, uh, because on 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 our other show on Soccer Dad Pod, I've had the privilege of talking to a lot of what we now call the gap players on the men's side, and that is those that were at the tail end of the NASL. Mm. And then too old mm -hmm. by the time MLS comes around. And in that middle window was indoor, especially here in St. Louis, obviously. Yeah, for sure. You know, so, and you talk to some of them, and I'm not going to name names, but some of them expressed disappointment that they didn't have opportunities when their peers that were only three, four, five years younger or three, four, five years older got their experiences in those two programs. You were just before the pop-off, you know, by from 85 to 91. That's only a six-year difference to a World Cup title. How does do you think about that? Does it, generally, generally, generationally speaking, are you happy with the, the window of time that you participated? Are you frustrated that, damn, if I would have been four years younger or whatever it would be, does that ever play into your mindset with looking back at the game? You know, I, I don't think so. I, I was really just thankful to do it. I mean, I loved it. I yeah. absolutely loved it. And I, and, I, and I was absolutely thrilled when the U.S. women won the 1991 World Cup. And a lot of my friends were still playing. Michelle and, you know, a lot of my, my buddies uh, were still doing it. But I had no other option but to go to work. And, and I... And, you know, some people are fortunate that they, they, they could continue because they had the resources. Um, so I don't, I don't look at that because at the time there wasn't other options and right. the, it just wasn't even, so you, it's not on your radar 
you know, you're pissed off that it's not equal. You're pissed off that, in a way, because you want to go put, you want to continue to play the game, but mm-hmm. it just wasn't in the cards. You know, you know, she posted, it's fine. you have it up in March 2021. She had posted that 30 years ago, 30 years from 2021, the 1991 that we're talking about, hosted by China, won by the U.S. women, $10 day per diem. So there you go. It's still still at the time hadn't hadn't changed uh, living on, you know, Snickers, M&Ms, because I guess they were sponsors. Um, <laughs> yeah. And also yeah. You candy know, companies and yeah. McDonald's. Yeah. That's right. She's <laughs> like, you know, six games in six games in 13 days. And they were only 80-minute games because, God forbid, we give we make women play another, another 10. five minutes and a half. Yeah, you know? I mean, oh, my God, how, how, how we have to be less than that. Um, so, like, playing – so, JB mentioned that being in the gap, I, I kind of feel like I wonder if many of us my age and, and before me, we, we've always kind of played in a gap, Yeah, I, so to speak. I, right. I mean, I, I don't think it's been until – really, till. <laughs> Maybe to uh, 2011, where it's it, the gap started to to diminish. Just uh, I'm sorry about that. Um, the gap started to to, to shorten yeah. a, a little bit. Um, you know, even up even uh, you know these women win the World Cup in '99, which is such a celebrated event. Right. But the gap was still wide then. People don't realize that. You know that that it's still. No, I remember because I remember George. Um, refereeing in the WUSA, which went, you know, which belly didn't up, yeah. belly up. And I think I've told it before, but, you know, the, the, wherever they were playing, I don't even remember where we went, but the, the women having to change in a hallway because nobody nobody opened locker rooms that were present on site. So Title IX was awesome, as we know, in terms of having a legal way to say, you gotta, you gotta, you know, you, if you're not going to want to, you have to, but it, it wasn't overnight. It and people bitch about years. that. They bitch about that because they're like, and I'm like, men have had a hundred plus years of branding, marketing, Legacy. all these things. Legacy. I mean, and, and if you look at England, they were, they were, they played during the, the, during the world wars and they were bringing in more more fans than the men, and the men got pissed off about that and banned women from playing soccer for 50 years. Right. 50 years. So, like, I mean, I, it's always kind of been an uphill battle. Always. For, and it's a question. Now that it's not, right? So, it, and, and I'm puzzling. It still is. I'm pu- it is. But okay, n- but so not to the degree. Right. Not to the degree. Not right. to the degree, but, but I puzzle with this in my head. So let me see if I get the right words. Now that there's not as much, you know, double birds in your face, F off, we're going to do it anyway, right? You don't have to do this much. And, I, and I'm clink. And I'm happy about that for my daughters that I'm mm. looking at right now. I'm mm. glad that they don't have to, oh, here's some uniforms from the boys' teams that we're handing down to you. Or I'm glad that they get their share of pitch time and space, that they're not being moved off. Mm. On the mindset portion, though, when you aren't faced with the the ability the need to use grit when you're not faced with unfairness when you're not faced with something that gives you a bit of an edge grit is good do do you become a little bit mm, complacent but back in our day Ruth nobody dived nobody dived no one no one dove no, no. We, we in fact the, the running joke was like we don't play like boys we don't dive and then in the women's world cup I was like oh, who's diving what are we doing it's still it's still not diving still isn't as popular you see some of them do that but I'm with you the grit there is no there's no way I would I would take a fall or no, like, you stay like up no right, what. because I want to I want to win is your leg broken give me an ace bandage I'll fix I remember I played an indoor game and um, 
uh, I got hit in, in, and I'm blind in one eye, not wearing eye protection. I'm in <laughs> playing indoors, and someone, and it was probably the sperms, came over and kicked me in this eye, right? Oh. And um, I break this orbital floor. I play the, re- I, I don't know if I played the Wait, rest of the game. Of your good eye? Yes. Should, I had don't... to have surgery. I mean, the muscles stuck down in the eye. My eyes like, Rrr. I'm like, I'm still good to go. I'm still good to go. My eyes like, Rrr. you're like, I'm fine. I go to the, and the doctor goes, blow your nose. I blew my nose in my eye. I went, Pfft. he goes, yeah, we're going to have to operate on that. You know, so it, I just can't imagine you know, just using that. Yeah. To, and and to, I wonder, it just makes me wonder in, in the way the two things that you had both said was that talked about Anson and, and that, that vision that he had. So I feel like in the last women's world cup, personally, I couldn't really identify style in our play. I, I couldn't, whereas I could look at other teams and be like, whether I liked it or not, they're playing this way, they're playing this way. So that lack of vision and two, um, as skilled and amazing as our young players are, you know, I look lack at them and wonder, do you lack experience and a little bit of, you got to get up and do it anyway, a little bit of grit. Can I, can I, can I share something Please. that I'm not, I mean, it's kind of a secret. Uh, I, when I was going to the World Cup, I had watched, you know, I'd gone and watched some of the friendlies because I go, the Players Association really does a good job of like getting us tickets or so if you ever want to. Head out and, and go to a party. So I'll you know, be your friend. Yeah, yeah. I'll I can, be your plus I can, one. I, I, can, I can bring you. She's um, like, I have a suitcase. Yeah, no, let's go <clears> now. Come you go JB. Now? JB, you got the kids. Uh, Bye. I got so, it. Me and George. No, under but, control. Me, um, but I um, got the, I, after I had seen a f- couple of the friendly games, I'm like, holy shit, we ain't going to make it out. I knew it, I, and so I, I made sure to get Vietnam and Netherlands tickets, so that and I and I don't and it's because I lacked faith in what I was seeing. Yeah. I lacked faith in the the cohesiveness. You could just see it. You have all these great players, but there was no. And we we touched a little bit about this when, when we saw each other a couple weeks ago, that here you got this NWSL coach who might be really good uh, for a team that you build all season, you know, sort of that, right. that, that's the advantage you have. A yeah. longer-term culture. Right. For sure. And, but you, you got to have someone, um, a, tech, a tactical uh, person, and I wish it was a woman, to like Jill Ellis. Jill Ellis was very tactical, and everyone gave her shit, you know, about, like, you know, like tinkering. Right. But she, she had backup plans to backup plans to backup plans, and... You could tell that. You could tell that when she got there, she knew exactly what weapon she was going to pull out and when. And I think we lacked that um, this year. I don't think Vlad brought that. And you could tell. You could tell that we had all these weapons and didn't know how to use them. Maybe that's right. And we, he could not bring them to be a cohesive unit. He just could not do it for whatever reason. Does does a does a player like and not to put it all in one player, but does a player like Sauerbrunn, Becky Sauerbrunn, make a difference? Absolutely. Her leadership was really missing. But that wasn't the only thing. The first thing is Megan Rapino should not have. Should not have announced her retirement before that. Because, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, I was like, I mean, Why did you do that? It then became about her, yeah. and then and then when she got on the field, it, it, her she was checked out. I mean, so I'm like, stop putting her in there. She can't even take a kick. You well, know, at this yeah, point. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna bring that up. I, I'm really curious as to your take on that. And I love <laughs> Megan Rapino, and I love her parents very much. I just think it was a a, a wrong decision. Process wise, right. was not the best way. Well, right? I think it I think it dropped. I noticed it this morning. Carly Lloyd came out. She's been doing a lot of, oh, like, yeah. you know, commentary on her.
her career. Great for the women's game. Well, I, I, <laughs> I think she's honest at times, but sometimes I just think she lacks a filter a, a little bit. Well, the, the, the reason I'm bringing it up is because of what you just pointed out in watching the friendlies. You, with the experience that you have in understanding camaraderie and, and chemistry, you could see in those friendlies that the women did not have that team it, that, that chemistry, that vibe. Carly points out in her tweets or whatever this morning, or their sound bites from her interview, that Megan in particular was becoming an overly, uh, overly dis- uh, uh, distraction to the team with the announcement. And, and, you know, and of course, the press wants to make about taking knees and all this other stuff. Um, do you think when you look at the last, the last World Cup and the last handful of years, um, do, do, do you wish there would have been more ex- exclusivity or focus amongst the team as a whole on just the game from a soccer perspective? Or do you think that it, its merit and, its, and the balance is, is justified to lean into all of these other areas, be it you know, uh, equality and, and social, uh, social good, um, what's your what's your take on that as it applies uh, to the game? Is something in me, such a smart guy. Uh, what, what I, think I googled of, it. Well, <laughs> well, I think in 2019 that had to happen because of where we were in the political um, arena with U.S. soccer and. FIFA. In other words, and somebody's got to do it. We we had they with had to the do equality, uh, the the right the, the equal pay, pay and right, the collective right. bargaining agreement. I. You know, and as that went along, I don't, I didn't see a choice, and there had to be some champions of that. And I think uh, that at that point, it was sort of like, "Fuck you," you know, in your face, because we go on and win that World Cup, right? It, it, with all that, and we talked about the the fighter, you know, the kind of fight fatigue that takes place. I think that the, that after the 2019 World Cup, which I think all that needed to take place, and I'm so, I thought it was brilliant. Then we win the World Cup after all that, and so it was brilliant. But not only is are the players having fight fatigue, but the nation is from seeing it, hearing yeah. it. And I think there was some overexposure of Megan Rapinoe in that. You know, she should have gone ahead and retired, and then championed those those things from from the sidelines. Um, because I do think it was a distraction. Her announcing her, her, her retirement before World Cup, you know what? Don't go to World Cup. Yeah. Th- because this makes you selfish. Or don't say it. Right. <clears throat> just one just of the, keep right, it to yourself until you're done. Right, right. Yeah, because, I, I would agree. Because also, what does that do to the players that you're playing with? You know, think about that. They're, she is checked out. Well, and you almost, and I can't speak for the coach, I obviously don't know him, but you almost feel, it's like that thing you sometimes get with, with uh, maybe a high school when you got a senior and it's senior night and you got to play them, but maybe you shouldn't because you want to win the game right. also at the end of the <laughs> right. season right. where, you know, she becomes that kind of, I mean, she's had plenty of time on the pitch, but how do you not then play her, right? Yeah, in, in a way. She, she did. She felt like <clears throat> in this particular World Cup, given the quality of the other players that were on the roster, it felt almost as if it was like a pay-to-play club where the coach was, f- 
I gotta put yeah, her in. Yeah, I'm gonna get in trouble. Well, I'm gonna get an email. The, the parents are gonna call me <laughs> right. if I don't give her minutes. You know what? That's so correct. And, and the it, whole time I was like, take her out. And <clears throat> and too. frankly, I'm sorry, Alex Morgan too. I was yes. like, take her out. Yeah. Take, yeah. It could, when you're not performing, right? You take a couple of corner kicks and they're not dropping. Okay, your 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 job at being a striker is to score, and you're not doing it. We had so much depth. We had, you know, and I would have just pulled the striker out completely, and you know, because you had so much meat up top. I mean, you just you, and and back to your back to your point. I think um, this 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 distra- distraction, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and letting them play, let, right. letting them play, because that in and of itself becomes a distraction. Because then you get these frustrated fans, and then they're bitching about it. And so then, what does that do to your team as a whole? Because believe me, they're not isolated from it. Yeah, not I, anymore. I, I was thinking about like that team in particular and all that that was going on. And in my head, I was joking like, well, the only person that can handle this is Rodman. Because look at her dad. She's a warm junior. <clears throat> used to that chaos. But for the most part, you've got very, they're still very young. They're uh-huh. still very impressionable. Right. And, and the level of competition globally, it's there. I mean, we, we just saw it. Spain, yeah, yeah. Spain is out of this world. So now here we are, full circle. Um, and their first World Cup was 2015. Yeah. The same exact kind of trajectory that the U.S. women had from 85 <laughs> to 91. Wow. Which I think is interesting. Leaving 12 of their 15 top players at home after they boycott it. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious as to what you think, U.S. women's soccer in particular, um, seeing the progress that's been made in Spain, uh, England, um, Japan. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There are true other powers that are clearly defined now. What does U.S. women have to do to regain a little bit of that swagger and at this point keep pace because these other programs are moving quicker. You know, I bet someone asked them that question in uh, 91 and I bet someone asked them that question again in 90, mm-hmm. 1999 and I bet someone asked that question, you know, in that those gap years until, you know, mm-hmm. they won the next World Cup. So I, I, I think that it's really part of the fabric and Michelle and I were just talking about this this pressure to win every time, every single. I think that pressure in and of itself is a driver. You know, I think uh, in a, you know there's that expression, pre- pressure is privilege, right. and it really is. You know, uh, but I think that it's so interwoven in the tapestry of U.S. women's soccer. This this need to be on top of the game to not lose to win to win they'll be back i mean i have no doubt we have the talent we have you know we have um good college soccer um i wish our leagues were better well that that's my part b to this and then i'm gonna make way here for jen's next question but england in particular you now have a women's professional league that is piggybacked you know, it's, it's sister teams to Chelsea, to Liverpool, to Man U. You know, and you just had Chelsea. We talked a little like, bit. Like Barcelona you know. and yeah. Real Madrid. And it's happening in the other nations. So, you know, the other day you had Chelsea, Arsenal, women, and you've got 70,000 fans at Wembley or wherever so it was. So fantastic. You know, and their, their infrastructure, their, their, their soccer league, I mean, as much as MLS is advanced, it's not the EPL. No. It is not La Liga. 
Do you think that the U.S. women, from a professional standpoint, outside of the national team, what does our league need to do to help keep pace in order to produce the players that we need to compete every four years? <laughs> it's like uh, Soccer Sunday on... Uh... A little bit, a little bit, because we talked a little bit yes. with Ted Williams on mm-hmm. KFNS and, and St. Louis Soccer Sunday of that he did a women's soccer um, thing, but that was kind of like one of the questions, and the, the he took us through talking points of Meg Linehan's and... Um, uh, thank you, uh, um, Angel City. Yeah, Angel City. Um, and just Ju- kind of Julie Ehrman. No, think, Karen, no yeah. it, was it was Karen. It, um, um, I'm gonna look it up as we talk. Yeah, but took out. us to the points and basically said, and one of those points was, and I've heard it. We've heard it actually on the show somewhere. We had a guest that talked about how I just wish it would be women's men's soccer. Just put it all in the MLS. Yeah. And their point was like, but but. That you could, but who says we have to follow the same? And is any blueprint? anyone in the MLS? You know, the only closest thing I can think of currently would be Inter Miami be, because of Lionel Messi. Kara Nortman. Sorry, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, okay. I had the first name. <laughs> I remember that. But the closest thing we see to that right now, currently in the U.S., is because Lionel Messi is playing in Inter Miami. You don't see it. So to emulate that. Um, you know, we don't have a Real Madrid here. We don't have a Barcelona. I think what's going to happen is I think more U.S. women are going to go play like Lindsey Horan because those... Go to Europe. Yeah. And, um, and it's going to hurt. You know, that doesn't mean that these NWSL teams can't be feeder systems because they can. But until we have some kind of system in place where uh, you can develop... And that there is the fan support, that there is the money, because money is talking, you know. Well, that, I mean, that's really kind of my, that's where I'm going with this, because you look at Kansas City. Sporting's, they're one of the original eight. <clears throat> you now have the women's team building a new stadium, new owners, new dollars, you know, and it's almost as if they're doing it from scratch. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what money could be spent actually on the program if there was duplicity, if you have a singular stadium, I mean, it's pretty easy to create a schedule that works. But now these investors are being forced to put tens of hundreds of millions of dollars into inanimate objects that are not helping develop the women's game. Yeah. So. And then the, but the proponents of it would say, but now we don't have to be the third. There was recently tenant, a, a yeah. who was uh, the MLS team that's announced that they're coming in. There's already which city is it? They established a women's team. It's on the east, west coast, I think. San Diego. Yeah, and they were talking about the fact that they're kind of already getting dumped down. They're they're getting dumped down in priority. And then they like, become We've the third here. tenant versus the. And men I don't have that. the right answer, but like, like hey, we, we were now the third tenant. When well, how but, do you share? But it's also. But, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. But but it's also about really looking not to emulate something that is not successful. And I think there's something different in that vernacular because if you if you look at um, our MLS system. How many of those teams are hugely successful and known worldwide? Can you think of one outside uh, of Inter Miami? Uh, right. St. <laughs> Louis City in about a month's time, by the way. But because it's such, it's in its infancy. Soccer in in the United States is still in its infancy comparatively. Absolutely. And so I think that we cannot like 
I would rather us look overseas and see what is being successful and try to emulate that. And we can't do that very well because we don't have a real Madrid. So then you have to just, you know, uh, mince it up and see what is, how are they being successful and then, you know, do it. Well, so what about this, though? I mean, theoretically, if, if these if there was a little bit more play nice, because the global leagues, what the, the, the number one driver is wages. When you look at the league minimum, you know, at EPL, La Liga, mm -hmm. et, et cetera, on, on the men's side, and then you compare it to, <clears throat> I think it's like 62 or whatever the low is on the men's side, and then 84 if they've got six years. There, th that's a big reason why a lot of global players are not looking at MLS as a second or third option because they can make significantly more even in a Scandinavian nation or something like that. The women, too, we're going to be approaching that crossroads totally. where the women in England in particular, they've got money. They've got a lot of revenue that is generating. And if the wages are 2x or 3x, that's going to be a major hindrance in building the league because at the end of the day, the, the player, yes, they look at certain teams, but they have a team, their attorney, their agent. Every, they're looking at the best deal, too. Right. So the league has to find a way to be competitive to because, keep because if they get too far back on the train from a wage standpoint, that is way harder to make up. Yeah. I don't well, think yeah. you have as many. I'm sorry, Ruth. Yeah. No, people, women, willing and rightfully so, to say, "Hey, I'll play for nothing. Hey, yeah. I'll play no, and work got, two they jobs, want their money. right? Right? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and say, and say, they're saying, like, hey, if this is going to be, and, and also, I think we, the the demands on their time probably are, are are somewhat different. But if we're going to do this, and I'm, I gotta have an apartment, I gotta, you know, live, and I can't live on my parents' dime, and those things like that, and I, I can't just play for the love of the game. Um, um, that that they that they're we're gonna have to do that here and allow them to, to have a, not only probably more than a livable wage, mm -hmm. um, and have the ability to have other things too like sponsorships and things. I think Carly Lloyd has talked a little bit about that. You know, pathways to push that to to be able to to live the the and, and financially fund the life you're you're living breathing soccer. You also have to fund it for yourself. You yeah. gotta pay your bills. Well, I think. You know, and I, I'm, I'm even sorry I'm going to say this before I even say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> if one of the reasons that we don't have a Real Madrid or we don't have is is twofold. One is, you know, the, the history and the rich history of these countries. And this is a game where you don't have to have resources. So these kids get together and they right. play soccer. And then everyone is sort of like what you were talking about, having us absorb that. that. And so... This is I'm going to regret. So I'm not not really, but the men's U.S. team has got to do better, and and if the men's team would do better, I think you might get more draw in terms of of these MLS teams. But because the men have sucked, sorry. No, it's uh, that. And this is just my own weird philosophy. I, about I spot on agree with you. I the the the. the we can't have a Barcelona or we can't have a Real Madrid because we don't have those heroes. No, because until your national team beats teams loaded with players from all of those pinnacle programs, you will always be a stepchild. Right. And once Amen. you do win, well, then the ego kicks in, which is immediately followed by the sponsors and right. the investors. Right. <laughs> right. Because that look at look at the marketable players for the U.S. Megan Rapinoe is one because she was a, re a rebellion. 
uh, Hope Solo was marketable because she was a rebellion. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and there's certain amount, I was talking to someone, um, I was talking to Erin Foley, she's this comic, and I did a podcast with her, and she was talking about, you know, like she had these thousands of questions. She's like, you know, what's your what happens when you take a penalty kick? And she goes, I used to watch Hope Solo, and she would just pace like an animal. She would just pace. And I'm like, you know, for me, it was a really quiet time. But my point about saying that is that these are marketable moments. These are what bring in money. These are, you know, these things. Mia Hamm, she was a perfect example of marketability. She was shy, reserved, didn't want the spotlight. But when it was on her, she was a beautiful, uh, a beautiful thing to look at in terms of her mentality, her, her drawing in young children and young girls wanting to be like her, you know? So that that's my answer. Being marketable. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't know, and we don't have a ton of time left in the show, but, um, and again, you'll definitely be asked to be a repeat customer. Awesome. Um, but you came, you, you went to the World Cup, so I, I had two questions for you. Maybe we can lightly dust them and get, how was it in Australia? Because your posts look amazing, and you just came back from Spain, and a whole lot of shit's happened after that. They won. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> Which one do you want? <laughs> Holy cannoli. Um, well, you know, Australia, you know, I went, I saw, um, uh, I took in most of the games in New Zealand. In New Zealand, um, right. Yeah. But my takeaway from that was, those fucking Kiwi, you know, I mean, like, I was so impressed by, one, how they did it. And I think that's really key, you know, how, how we are putting on these World Cups and the amount of viewership, because that mm-hmm. also brings in, um, investors that brings in resources that brings in um, interest right. and for me seeing this I mean I'm sitting in a stadium in New Zealand and it's jam-packed full of people and I'm playing we're watching fucking Vietnam sorry you already <laughs> said it five times you're good <laughs> we're, I'm watching US play Vietnam and I'm going bonkers because they aren't killing this team 10 to nothing you know I'm like right. holy shit you know we're just <laughs> we're in this for a bad ride right I'm like thank god I got these uh Thank God I got these. And I remember talking to Ted, you know, overseas while, while we're there. And he's like, Ruth, if you're not nice, I'm going to have to cut you off. Because I'm, like, getting so mad <laughs> during this. JB likes that. You're fine. But, yeah, uh, fired up. <laughs> I was totally fired up. And Ted's like, Ruth, if you're not nice, you know, I'm like, how can I be nice right now? I mean, thank God Lindsay Horan during the Netherlands got pissed. Got mad. That Right. You that know, was a got mad goal. It was. That was it, an FU goal. Yeah. And, and you could see from her face. Um, but I think that, that watching that live made me happy that the game, even if it's not the U.S. women, it's the women's game evolving. And you have jam-packed full stands. There wasn't enough. And, you know, like you go and, and FIFA's bringing all this, um, you know, sweatshirts. You go there and they're fucking out of it. And I'm like, how, why wouldn't you anticipate, Yeah. you know, th- this? Why You know, so you had to go to the fan zone to get it. And then I have to beat up all these Netherlands fans, you know, just because they're there. <laughs> Uh, but in, in their wooden clogs. Yes. You're like, take nice that clog shoes. off their shoe and beat them over the head. <laughs> <laughs> That's 1985 talking right uh, there. That's right, right? there. Uh, but it was uh, fantastic. Just the viewership, the whole, the feeling, the, the, um, you know, and I, and when I reflect on my time, you know, and I thought, holy shit, you know, I'm, there's 10,000 fans here, whatever there was when I was playing. And it was the most I'd ever played in front of my life. 
feeling so proud. How, what was your most number? I don't. Ish. I don't remember. I, I would say there would be between eight and ten thousand people in, in in at this tournament, and and probably that's probably an exaggeration, just considering I was like, holy shit, you know, I went to the division. Well, one it was probably final. sixteen to twenty because you've only got one. Good yeah, you're like that's easy. <laughs> No, but I she's gonna hit you with a claw. I'm <laughs> exaggerating it in my head, you know. But uh, but you know, your national anthem playing, you got your hand over your heart, and you you're you know. I was like, I still get goosebumps when the national anthem plays every time because of that one moment. Yeah. Wow. And then you're uh, sitting now in this stadium that's just ridiculously uh, jam packed uh, with yeah. with crowds that. You know, I always like the proverbial they because who is they, but but they said would never happen. Nobody would be interested right. enough. Not enough right. people would be interested to go. Do no that. viewership. That's why we're not hey. supporting it. You know, it's yeah, not I'm fun. Like, it's not interesting. I mean, it's yeah. I said bite my ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Did we get that? I'm like, I hope we did. Um, and we probably can't. I don't know. It, it, any quick thought on? Not that it can be a quick thought. It's not enough for that. But Spain does beautiful soccer oh. they do amazing things and then it so gets lovely. a little bit you know again i feel like god it's one of those damn things that the women's game has been doing for years tackling issues playing playing while simultaneously tackling bullshit issues it needs to go need on the to shelf it totally needs to go on the fucking shelf and i'm so tired of it because i mean this is on the main stage just days before the FIFA president is saying, you know what, you need to tell us boys, you know, what you, you know, whatever, whatever his vernacular. I mean, I was just like, I was like livid. And then on the very next day, I think it was like the next day. I think it was. Yeah. You know, this guy kisses this, you know, Hermosa. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm, I'm sitting there watching. I can't even believe I'm watching it. And, right. and him grabbing his stuff, you know, like yeah, in, I, in the. I was watching like, it too, going, um, "Am I the only one seeing this?" Well, but, we weren't. But, but again, why is this something that is still happening? And 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 on a national stage like that. But these Spanish women are resilient. They've already been fighting it, and they're going to continue to fight. I have no doubt in my mind. And now they have a woman coach, which might be this token thing thrown out there. But you know what? It served its purpose for that moment. It's got to start yeah. somewhere. It's got to. It's got to. Um, yeah. And, and then many of us, I think, probably sometimes finding we're having conversations then with, you don't think you need to have the conversation. But as I look over to the three of the four that I have here, had a conversation with every single one of them. And, and for them to be like, literally, because they're so young, like, I, what, what, why, why would that happen? I'm like, because it's happened for years. And, it, and yeah. it's, not, it's not done. And so, you know, I, I also then feel bad also for, like, the Megan Rapinos. And, and I don't think she did a, you know, quote, right. But at the same time, you know, you are still having the battle and bullshit issues that they don't have to do on the men's side while you're trying to play the beautiful game. And if she wasn't, you know, gay, would everyone be as pissed off? Probably no. Okay, I just <laughs> want to throw that out. That's another ingredient. I think that's a whole other episode. <laughs> yeah, we never, we never, I mean, you JB can't do it without a, the gays. JB gave me that look, no, but I was like, hey, one look. more, one more question. I, I'm a thousand percent. Every door open, open every door in these conversations because at the end of the day, you know, they've been shut for too long. Yeah. So need to talk about it. I well, love and then it. we're guaranteed like we're like, oh, we need a guest. I'm like, we need to have Ruth Harker back. Anytime, can I get, can I get a we'll girl? Have, yeah. Anytime. We'll right. have Ruth come on with the Twelman sisters. 
Oh, that'd be great. I don't think I know them. They would be fun. Oh my god. And then we'll get those. They have two hockey player sisters too. It'll just come here so I can drink heavily. Okay. Because I can walk home. There we go. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ruth. It was a pleasure meeting you. It was such a pleasure. Looking forward to the next conversation as well. It's really awesome when you get to sit across or like say hello as a friend to somebody who's an icon and just realize not only they're kick-ass, but they're just a great human. Thanks, Ruth. Man, thanks for having me. This has been a blast. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Love it. Love it. All right. And I love your kids. Look at the Pharaoh one still trying to whistle. It's so great. She is. (laughs) She's your spirit animal. She is my spirit animal. I'm going to take her home. You can have her. Well, we are out of here then. Trainwreck, thank you for hosting. Yeah, Trainwreck, uh, appreciate you making Trainwreck, as Brent you told Wood. me, you got to say the right location. With the buffalo, the Tatanka out front. <laughs> you know what that's from, right? Nope. Uh, Ke- Kevin Costner, what's the... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Dancing with Wolves. Dances with Wolves. Yeah, there, there we go. go. There we go. All right, we're out. Until next Sunday, Soccer Mom Sunday. Jennifer thank you. Seas, thank Ruth, you, Ruth. Thank you. We'll catch you next time. DJB. Well, how fun was that?